Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, and each week I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help encourage and inspire you wherever you're at on your journey. Before we start today's episode, I've got a quick question for you. Would you like to know how to make your home beautiful using what you've already got? Well, I've created a free ebook, Seven Days Your Guide to Styling Success. And all you have to do to grab a free copy is go to nataliewalton.com forward slash the styling masterclass. Just fill out the form and you'll get it delivered direct to your inbox. I'll share how you can style your home in seven easy steps. There's one activity for every day of the week. Just go to nataliewalton.com forward slash the styling masterclass to download your free ebook. Hello everyone. I hope that you're all well. Today, I'm really excited to share an interview with Samantha Wills. Many of you will know her through her jewelry brand, which was of the same name. And after 15 years, she made a really big step and decided to close a business that was actually doing really well financially. It was profitable. It was continuing to grow, but it wasn't aligned with who she wanted to be anymore and her creativity, what she required of that really changed and she was at a crossroads in her life. She wrote about this in her book of gold and dust, which is now out and available in all good bookstores. I actually grabbed a copy of it uh, before we had the interview went to a local bookstore, um, even though she'd sent me one and I was waiting to receive it, but I thought, no, I'm going to go and grab a copy. And I read it in one go up until two o'clock in the morning. I could not put it down. It is a book for anyone who loves hearing about creative stories and creative journeys. It is a book for anyone who maybe has a tendency to put work first or to have perfectionist tendencies, but it really is a book that you can resonate with on so many levels about having a dream and really trying to make it happen, about putting your health last or second, you know, it's something that you're always going to do one day. And it is about a book listening to your own intuition about knowing what is right. So often I hear people struggle to know how to make the right decision, whether it comes to their life, their career, their home. Well, really it is about learning to listen to your intuition and the voices within inside you because you often know the answer. Anyway, I was very excited to talk to Samantha. She was very giving of her time and answered freely and honestly. She is incredibly vulnerable in the book and very open in this interview. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Hi, Samantha. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am, I can't wait to have this conversation because <laughs> I've just finished your book and I finished it late last night. I could not yeah. put it down. And I, I can't tell you, it's actually been a long time since that has happened to me where I couldn't put a book down. And I was just, your story is so compelling on so many levels. I think oh. that it's a sort of book that a lot of people can resonate perhaps with different parts of it. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and there were definitely a lot of things that I could resonate with it. I'm still kind of processing it, to be honest, because it's okay. a very... <laughs> Uh, it's a very open and and vulnerable kind of book and right. it's um I think that because of that it really touches so many things we, well, certainly within me and I'm sure other people mm -hmm. would have the same experience um so so yeah anyway <laughs> so that's my my yeah. my preface this this uh. and I guess I <laughs> I just wanted to say as well that I, I think part of it as well I mean it's look it's it's sort of it's all interesting but you know I think everyone comes to it from their own journey but mm -hmm. that um we I mean you know it was a long time ago but I had interviewed you many many years ago when I was working at Real Living and actually the yes. image that one of the images in your book where you put kind yes. of a green dress on that is yeah. from that feature it is um, yes, and, yes, yes. yeah and the funny thing is that then I was, I was reading the book and then you're talking about that you'd actually moved back into your apartment and so I had now this whole other backstory to that interview that I didn't of know at the course. time 
And um, and while I was working at Real Living, um, I was given uh, one of your beautiful jewelry boxes with you know some jewels in it, so beautiful mm-hmm. bracelets. And and I remember the box, how beautiful you got this whole story about the boxes. And now my daughters are in love with the boxes, so oh, it's just that's like so nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and you know, so full this, circle. This, yeah, there's just these little touch points along the way that it sort of feels like, I guess we're, I mean, you're a bit younger than me, but similar kind of age, you know, both mm-hmm. kind of being part of that magazine world uh, in some one way or another. And so right. it was really, um, yeah, it really resonated a lot. So I guess I should give you the opportunity to talk. And, and, and no. what I want to start with <laughs> is... Um, I one of the questions I wanted to ask you um, at the start because I'm always interested to learn about uh, people's childhood and how it informs who they are today. And now you do go mm-hmm. into the book quite a lot about your entrepreneurial spirit as a child. But I wanted to start with that. Like, do you think that that was nature or nurture? Because you do mention that your parents were they had their own business. You were mm-hmm. surrounded by that because obviously, but the creativity, like, was that something that was within you? Um, I think the creativity always, it's, um, you know, I don't remember it kind of reached like the entrepreneurial spirit reaching me at a certain point. So I think it was definitely something I was born with in a way, but I'm, I'm also an only child, which I think has some kind of um, bearing on I don't know. It's like this, like you have to pave your own way in a way that you don't have, you know, brothers or sisters. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I remember a time being three or four and taking all the food out of mum's pantry and then setting up like a cafe and trying to sell it back to her kind of thing. So, um, you know, and obviously I share some stories in the book of, of you know, almost like, you know, people are like, oh, you were so savvy back then to earn money as a kid. I was like, I think I was just a bit of a brat, like where I, you know, I share a story in there about going and washing a sign at my parents' shop and I just washed half of it. And my dad's like, oh, you know, it's going to look great when you finish because it's so dirty. And I was like, no, no, I have finished my free trial of it. So, you know, I'll clean the rest for 20 bucks kind of thing. So um, I don't know. I think there was, there was a hustler in me always. I just, um, I didn't know it was going to take the path of entrepreneurialism. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um it's really interesting to see that. And like you say, you know, your your parents did have their own businesses, but there was definitely mm-hmm. something within within you. You also um talk a lot about the book, how you know you the jobs that you took after school, but you started working, you know, creating jewelry and and sort of selling it at the Bondi markets, and that was kind of a mm-hmm. launch pad in many ways for your jewelry career. But what I'm kind of curious about at that time is to have that sort of that faith and belief in yourself. There's a lot of children or young women who wouldn't even have the courage to go and do that, to go and put their jewelry at the markets. What mm-hmm. do you think that was? Was that a sort of a necessity? What was the drive within you at that point? Yeah, it's a great question. And I look I look back on it now and I'm like, I don't know if I would be that brave today, to be honest. I think, you know, a lot of people use the word bravery back then and to start my business at 21 and, you know, all these things. But I'm like, I don't know if it was actual bravery. I mean, it might have been in, in an underlying way, but I think it was naivety in a way where I like I really had nothing to lose. Um, you know, that inhibition that back then was, I don't know, I just compare it to now if I had to make those type of decisions now of putting myself out there, um, you know, and, you know, starting from scratch, I'm like, I would look at it really differently. So I think there's a bit of, you know, bliss in the ignorance, if, if that makes sense. So, um, but I don't know, I think we spend so much time worrying about what other people will think of us when the reality is everyone's just thinking about themselves like in the most consistent manner that we're all quite selfish beings so I remember my mum you know in high school I was like oh you know everyone's going to be looking at my shoes and she's like everyone's worried about their own shoes like don't even worry like it's it's like we spend so much time handing our power away to something that probably doesn't even exist if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, and but yet it can be so crippling for so many. Absolutely, really, really hold them back. Yeah, 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 and 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 so I guess in a similar vein as well, I was sort of interested. You talk like again a lot about in the book about your sort of your journey, sort of to building your business and so on, and we will touch on that. But 
about the creative side, you don't really go into so much about the process. And I, I wondered, um, obviously, you were making your own jewelry right from the mm -hmm. go. I mean, even as you say, you know, at school. But yep. were you, did you have a strong sense of you were just making what you liked? Or were you going out there for inspiration? Or how did that kind of journey in terms of your own style when it came to jewellery, how did that evolve? Yeah, well, I think jewellery, even as a category, I think a lot of people like must have assumed that I had this love affair with jewellery. But to be honest, it, it wasn't jewellery that I loved so much. It was creating and jewellery happened to be the vehicle that, you know, at the time I could do on even in school, I could, um, you know, teach myself in a way it didn't require, you know, a huge investment. So it kind of organically became the vehicle. And then when I started to sell it, um, even while I was, you know, had my real job and I say real job as in my, my nine to five, um, you know, normal job. And um, I, I would just make, I don't know, I made for the love of making. So I think in that first instance, it was just creating as, you know, when your hobby kind of merges into your vocation. Um, definitely as, you know, the business grew and, um, you know, not that the creativity shrunk, but you definitely, you know, the more commercial a brand becomes, the more criteria you're having to meet. So, you know, by year 10, for example, I'm, you know, I'm literally given a matrix from our sales director being like, okay, David Jones need, you know, 30 pairs of earrings under $100. They need X amount of rings at this price point. They need this, this, this. And, and you're working very much to a matrix when you when you get to that level of commerciality. So um, I think that, you know, and I say that to young entrepreneurs a lot of the time, I'm like, while it is, you know, a creative undertone, um, you have to find a way if you do want to, you know, take it down that commercial avenue to, to find a place where the art and the, the commerciality meet. And what about in those kind of early days when you were sort of, you know, you were still doing maybe the markets or those early days mm -hmm. of sort of focusing on your jewelry making. Did you have people who you looked up to in terms of them as a role model, what you wanted to be um, as a creative? Yeah, I think, you know, around that time, so 2004, 2005, it was really an emergence of um, a lot of Australian female designers, you know, uh, Jody Mears had started Tiger Lily and I was just obsessed with anything that she did. I, it was um, entirely, you know, a brand that I aspired to be a part of. And I think it was a, you know, the first time that I really saw branding beyond a product, like that brand really spoke to me around touch point of, you know, entering the world of Tiger Lily in a way. Um, the girls from Sass and Bide obviously were doing brilliant things. Um, Jamie Blakey from uh, One Teaspoon. So, you know, it was kind of this uh, time where magazines were still the hierarchy of communication. So, you know, every month these glossy fashion magazines would come out and I'd, you know, flip straight to the designer profile pages. And, you know, in a good way and a bad way, I think at that time, um, you know, social media wasn't around yet, which makes me sound like I'm about 2000 years old, but it was, you know, <laughs> a, a time before. Um, and, you know, I, I would put these designer profiles up on my board above my dining table where I was making, you know, jewelry till four o'clock in the morning. And in one way, that was so aspirational, but in another way, that was so isolating because I was like that, that beautifully styled, you know, perfect glossy shot reflected nothing of the blood, sweat and literal, you know, blood and sweat and tears that I was um, experiencing at, at that table. So um, while you got, you know, one insight into it in one way, there was also so much that wasn't spoken of back then um, when it was just kind of a glossy perception. Did you have any creative mentors? I mean, you don't really mention it in the book. I know that you sort of then went on to have like a business partner who became, mm -hmm. I guess, a business mentor. But yes. did you have any kind of people around you or people above you that you, yeah, were, were more in the creative field? No, I, di I didn't. And it's really interesting because I think as a creative person, you, you seek out what you're not strong at. So I was always seeking out, you know, the business side of, of mentorship. And I, I, I never have ever, and I've never ever been asked that question. It's a great question. You know, did I seek creative mentors? And um, I think that's, you know, really important in one way. And it's truly not something I've really put a lot of thought into. So um, it's, it's definitely as beneficial, I think, in many ways. But I think naturally, we, you know, well, my advice was always to surround yourself with people that are good at the things that you're not. And that's, that's the avenue I took. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I was really curious as well about what do you think it was about your designs that resonated so much that really helped you to cut through? Um, like what was your unique point of difference, I guess, as, as a jewelry designer or as a brand? I think in those early days, you know, it was a time before, um, you know, accessories stores or accessories brands kind of you know sports girl might have had a, a tiny accessories department at that time but it was almost like an afterthought to the apparel so no one was really um you know investing in accessories wh- whether it be a vertical brand or in or in retail so kind of getting into market when there wasn't a huge saturation on it um and to be honest i don't i, I don't know it wasn't you know i wouldn't say i was doing anything that was that crazily you know, innovative, you know, there wasn't a lot of it in the market. I think it wasn't one singular thing. I think, you know, doing the statement at the time, it was only earrings. I just launched with an earring collection. Um, So it was the product in in one way. And then it was, you know, the story of someone being 21 and starting their own business and, um, you know, coming from small towns. There was many pillars, I think, that that piqued interest in in the brand as an overall offering. I mean, and do you think that Part of it is also like just purely staying the course as well. I mean, I know you sort of talk about in the book that, um, you know, it took you 12 years to become an overnight success. But Mm -hmm. do you think that just by staying around and persevering that that is kind of why you also cut through? I think, you know, as as it went through and, and digital media and social media started to to come in, I think we were quite an early adapter of um, talking with our consumer on social media, not to her. Um, and I think that that really, you know, if you look at the traditional way, even before um, digital, so the traditional way was a brand would be the hierarchy and essentially they'd use traditional advertising to talk down to their customer in a way of like, here's what we're doing this season, here's what you should buy. Then when digital media come in, it kind of like flattened that landscape and made it much more transparent. So, you know, you couldn't charge X amount in one market and then X amount in another market for the same product. It, you, you know, it kept you, you know, a very transparent landscape there. And that was kind of more where a brand and a consumer would, you know, then start to see each other a bit more on even par. And then I think social media added this element of vulnerability in. So we're, we're able to speak, you know, human to human in a way. And um, I think a lot of brands continue to speak to their consumer rather than with her. And I know for us that when you add vulnerability to that conversation, that's where community starts to form. And so, you know, our consumers then begin speaking with each other that way. And then that was where the community and when you have community, you then get loyalty. Um, And it just started to, you know, it was a snowball effect when we really harnessed um, that element of, of it. So well, I think, you know, and as I say, anyone can replicate your product, they can replicate your packaging, but they cannot replicate your story. And I think we, you know, we were so honest in the way that we told the story of our origins. Um, and I think that people, you know, related to that. And that was that was the longevity and that was the the integrity of the brand. And the other thing that kind of kept striking me as well about your story is just, I mean, how hard you worked I mean you sort of give many examples of like your fingers bleeding while you're making the jewelry and Mm -hmm. you know the crazy hours the the crazy travel and there's a kind of a bit of a a pattern that I see with people who are really successful in the sense that they they go through this process and then come out the other like sort of have an epiphany come out the Mm -hmm. other end and sort of say like don't do this but then at the same time do you think that it's possible to have that kind of level of success without kind of being a bit of a workaholic or a perfectionist or do you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, I do. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. Um, I I don't know, to be honest. And I think that, you know, that depends on the individual's definition of success. For me, you know, success in the early days was like, you know, once we get it on a certain celebrity or once we're seen in a certain magazine, then that's, that's when we reach success. And then, you know, obviously those, those milestones change over the time, but, I think with, you know, the DNA of a creative entrepreneur is like, what's next, what's next, what's next? And you, you're kind of chasing, you know, the next the next thing. And, you know, it's it's the fuel and it's also the, the death of it because you're like, that's what keeps you moving and to reach those heights. But if you just keep, you know, chasing the next thing, it's, it ends up being a hamster wheel. So I think they, you know, they go hand in hand with each other. Um, and 
I don't know. I think that, you know, and I, I didn't want to in any way try and add glamour to, you know, glamorize the grind and the, you know, that that element. I, I think, you know, what I wanted to do in writing this story was show the depths of what it did take and the sacrifices that had to be made to get it to, to that level. And I hope that, you know, if, if another creative entrepreneur can, I, I don't think by sharing stories, we actually teach, you know, other people have to learn that you know, their journey their own way. But I hope in some way it allows people to get a bit of a framework for what that journey might look like and be able to anticipate um, certain things along the way, if that makes sense. I know it's hard, isn't it? Because I mean, I can completely understand because I mean, I have that tendency too is to, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a hard worker, like that's, that's always been my thing. And yet it's right. also the thing that I kind of, I, you know, people say, how do you do the things you do? And, you know, all of that sort of thing. But at the same time, it's it's like the curse as well, you know, right? Because it it's, is. it's it's hard, yeah. It's hard to stop. But I, but I do think that you know, and I I talk about this a lot, where I'm like the concept of entrepreneurship, and you know, if we look at I I refer to it in this day and age as modern entrepreneurship, because you know, a lot more people are getting involved in it. You don't necessarily have to have a business back in, background or acumen to to pursue it. Uh, myself, case in point, it's like. But if you if you um, reflect on what entrepreneurialism, say, you know, 30 years ago was known as, it was like hardcore business and, you know, very related to the work mentality. And I think that when you talk about, um, you know, burnout or, you know, kind of chasing that next thing, and obviously that does fuel us in a way, if, you know, it's, it's, it's always kind of looked on as a bad thing, which I understand in one concept and especially as it relates to health. But then if you contrast that in a way to, you know, I use the analogy of if, if someone was training to be a, an Olympic swimmer and they'd get up every morning at three o'clock and they're in the pool five times a day and they're, you know, training and, you know, watching what they eat and doing all these things to chase their dream to be an Olympic swimmer, people aren't going to sit there and be like, you're dreaming to, you're dedicated to your dream too much. Like you need to, you need to stop training as much because you just, you know, you're chasing your dream too hard. They'd be like, well done you like you're so dedicated you're this you're that so I think it's when you know it's it's the framework that I think the entrepreneurial journey holds in a way that and and I say that because I know if I sat here and just worked nine to five I I would not be fulfilled I would still be you know I'm not sitting there till even now till you know midnight or one o'clock in the morning I I do it because I want to do it in many cases so um, I think there's a real differentiation on that journey to be like, you know, working your own framework and not taking on when someone else thinks you're working too much. So I think there's a there's an ebb and flow in that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great analogy, actually. The like the mm-hmm. Olympic swimmer, like you say, you know, people see that as dedication, right? You know, not not like kind of craziness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I guess it's 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 having those times where you're kind of working towards a specific goal. And then mm-hmm. sort of taking a moment of appreciation of that and then pausing before you go to the next goal, which I think that can sometimes yes. be the hard thing when you have workaholic tendencies is to, it's like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing and Absolutely. not actually pausing. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that that's the, that's the key in it all, staying in that moment a little, a little while longer. Yeah. And I guess another kind of big character trait of, people who often have creative tendencies and again this is something you talk a bit about in the book is your we sort of touch on it is like the kind of the control creative control over the business Mm -hmm. and um, I'm just curious about how much of a role did perfectionist like do you consider yourself a a perfectionist or a recovering perfectionist like was that (laughs) the thing that prevented you from hiring someone earlier as that kind of head designer do you know what I mean like was it was it that that you couldn't let control of that part of the process I think um in that question like to when we were looking for a head designer for me to step back I think that was for a purpose and I I don't think we were ever going to find that individual because at that time you know my creative soul was was pretty exhausted and and was ready to to have a rest and then start a new chapter so I think that's more unique um, 
observation, but I think that definitely, yeah, I am, I'm creatively anal retentive. Like it's, it's still even to this day, like it's, it's a fault of mine if I ever, you know, wanted to start a big organization again, because, um, you know, in some ways I, I like working in teams and working collaboratively, but I, I really do enjoy working by myself and I, I enjoy that process. I like being accountable to myself, um, in a creative way. And I even, um, you know, when I, when I, like and it's such a perfectionism thing that no one else really observes it I think and we we overwork things as as creatives because you know that perfectionism in us but um I know many times in the business it was me that was putting you know a, a roadblock in expanding you know throughout the book I I think I say through there where Jeff my business partner was like hey you need to get out of the road you know kind of like shit or get off the pot kind of thing like you can't just hover there <laughs> holding holding it up so um, I definitely it's definitely something that I um, am very now very conscious of when I'm working with other people um, because yeah it's it's a, a bad trait of mine yeah, I just I I was kind of hoping for some huge insight in how to how to let go, you know, of Sorry. control. Because yeah. <laughs> so you're working on it too. <laughs> yeah. And it's um I don't know, I think we get so deeply ingrained into it. And then you know, I, I think stepping away from anything is so healthy, even if it's for an hour, for a few days if you can, and then revisiting it. Like we just get into this vortex that, you know, we hold onto it so tightly. Um so putting space between anything, even if it is just your on the computer screen is is a good move yeah and so again you know you talk a lot about building a brand um in general like there was many mm-hmm. iterations of it throughout your kind of career with with your brand um samantha wills jewelry as mm-hmm. well as like you had some other things on the side and you were helping other people like the example with with yellow glen so what mm-hmm. what do you think and brand is you know so important these days I think more than ever so what do you think is like the thing that really helps define a brand or a breakthrough cut through what would you say it is um I think first and foremost consistency I think as creative directors sometimes you know and oftentimes you're working so far in advance of when something is released you can get bored with something so you 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 tweak things just for your own you know creative amusement or you know to change things up but I like the consistency because people are you know so bombarded with things it's it's about you know showing up consistently be it in your brand language your you know corporate colors all, all those you know brand basic kind of things and and remaining true to that um, and I think storytelling at the end of the day it's it's such an overused um you know, uh, example in, in branding, but it's the one thing people cannot replicate. And if you're telling good stories and that's that's how we as humans connect with each other, it's it's our, you know, longest um, running art form. It was, you know, from cave dwellers is how they would communicate through storytelling before where, you know, we can even walk or talk. Our parents are reading stories to us. So it's, it's the way we like to receive information. Um, we know how to receive information that way. So integrating that into brand, um, I think is, is paramount. And of course, you know, one of the big questions as well is that would you build a brand using your own name again? I guess that that was one of the things <laughs> that I was at the end. I was like, I wonder what, you know, if you were to kind of create another like I know you've got your foundation and, and, and other things, yeah. but, you know, if you were to sort of start again with creating something else, you know, maybe it's something completely different or mm-hmm. completely fashion or interiors or whatever it is, like right. would you use your name again or, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just wondered on your perspective. It's a great that. question. I don't, I don't know. To be, I mean, uh, I have to say I would use my name again because it has afforded me so much and, you know, I'm such a – when I – when I am in something, I'm a thousand percent in it. So I think in that way, you know, it inter- it interlocks with your life, and that that worked for me. I understand that's not for everyone. Um, if you know, if I had called it absolutely anything else other than Samantha Wills, I obviously would have sold the brand. So um, it's a completely different thought process. I think going that way, but I don't know. If I had my time over again, I probably I probably would say no. I would probably I would probably do do a different brand name if, if I had my time over. Having said that, I'm very grateful, you know, even though I didn't sell the business, I closed it, I did inherit, you know, the database and I inherited the the brand currency and everything that came along with that I, I retained and that was important to me in, in that decision. But, I mean, there are other designers who have sold their name. I mean, didn't Tom Ford, that's what he did, didn't he? Like, I mean, you know, I certainly know of there are, there are other examples, but you just didn't want to go down that path. 
Yeah, I, I to be honest, hadn't seen an Australian example that had done it um, successfully. And when I say successfully, meaning keeping the integrity of the brand of, you know, and I think it's so personal to a creative founder, as as you would know, it's like, I don't, my heart just wasn't built in a way to to take that chance and to, you know, sell it off to a great a bigger organization and just see what they did with it um I think so much had been put into the brand both you know myself and some incredible women that worked on that brand and to me it was about honoring that legacy I just I was not built in a way that I could I could see what someone else would do with it mm, yeah I think I'd probably be the same too um mm-hmm. so I mean obviously you know towards the end of your journey with the business you know it was phenomenally successful and I know that you do work with sort of younger entrepreneurs with your your foundation but Mm -hmm. when you're starting out running a business there are just so many things to consider you know there's marketing and sales and there's you know you've got to get the quality right and maybe dealing with suppliers and all of these different components what are some of the the biggest lessons that you learned about running a business or the the kind of advice that you would say to somebody who was starting something in the creative fields if they were running their business you know like how do you kind of manage those decisions what do you prioritize I think definitely as a creative like I said before surround yourself with people that are good at the things that you're not like don't let ego get in the way of like you think you should be able to do it all and like if if you know, it's about isolating yourself to do what you're best at is I think where you add the, the best value. Um, you know, if I was starting again today and I knew what I knew now, I would definitely have my uh, financials in order earlier. And by that, you know, I didn't start out with any money, but I would have, you know, looked to um, implement a bookkeeper and, you know, on their recommendation, the accountant that they work with just to get some visibility. Because I think, you know, for me, it always had to be a, a commercially creative venture. So, um, and the more visibility and freedom I had around um, seeing where we sat financially, the the better creative I could be. So um, definitely, you know, setting up that side of the business to allow you to, to work on the side of the business you want to. Mm, yeah. And of course, your sort of your current chapter is, you know, you've just finished this book and you're you're kind mm-hmm. of obviously promoting it. But I mean, the book was, as I mentioned at the start, I mean, it was incredibly open and and vulnerable and raw. Um, did you worry at all about being so honest, like to sort of to share so much of your kind of personal struggles through the process? Uh, no, it wasn't a concern. It was a prerequisite to me just personally. Um, I don't know. I wanted to write a book that I wanted to read. Um, I, you know, and I'm not that interested in just straight out business memoirs. So I definitely didn't want it just to be that. And, you know, the original working title of the book was Public Brand, Private Life. And um, when I started writing the book, I actually had a company. So, you know, six months into that, I, I'd closed the company or decided to close the company. So I kind of plot twisted myself in, in a way. So I had to, um, you know, really look at, at the new purpose of the book. And um, for me, you know, it wasn't obviously everyone, you know, sees the highlights and, and you know, the upshots. And then, you know, you, you share a little bit about the hurdles and things like that. But the real element is paralleling that human element in between because it's it's humans that are doing business. And I really wanted to share kind of what it takes of not only an individual but of a team of people to get a brand to that level of commercial success because I think, you know, we often we see the, the business elements, we don't often see what the human element is. Mm. Do you think that that's ingrained in your personality that you're very good at being very open and and vulnerable with people in general or was that writing the book kind of tapped into something that you hadn't necessarily opened up before um I think you know I enjoy having authentic conversations and I think to to want that in return you have to offer that as well um you know in 2016 when I launched the Samantha Wills Foundation that was kind of my first window into seeing not only the power of but the need for vulnerable storytelling specifically as it relates to women in business because it was you know at a time when Instagram was kind of at its peak glamour um and it's just such a a dangerous um you know compare and despair model where we sit there scrolling on this never-ending pit of you know um filtered images and filtered you know hype stories um it it, I, I needed to 
for me, I was, I looked back at 21 year old me looking at, you know, the inspiration pictures on, on my pin board of, you know, these glossy images that reflected nothing of the reality back to me. And so, you know, probably 13 years into that journey, I'm like, I've walked this path long enough to know that, you know, there needs to be more transparency around it. So um, I don't know if it is innately in my, my DNA, to be honest. I think I, when I saw the power of it and I saw the response to it, something in me ignited um, that really met it where where I met where I was meant to be. I felt. Mm. And you also share in the book some mm. examples of the kind of comments that you receive. I'm presuming this is in your DMs, but maybe even on your feed. There, and mm-hmm. there was a, it was what I found fascinating. It, it was like from complete adulation and kind mm-hmm. of like you know um, you know adoration of you to like really quite vulgar comments to really, yep. um, you know, like people sort of saying about, you know, your weight, whether you were too thin or too right. big or whatever it was, you know, yep. like every end of the spectrum. And I mean, that's a lot for a person to to kind of carry, like, you know, to be kind of confronted with that that kind of level of messages. And I'm sure that that's just like the very tip of the iceberg. Right. How, how do you how do you deal with that personally? Like, do you, do you, can you just completely shut off to it or does it ever chip away at you? I used to chip away at me. Absolutely. Um, and now it just rolls off like completely. It means absolutely nothing to me now, but I, you know, I wanted to put the um, array of those, you know, they were just some of the comments that I picked out of the DMs, but the array of them to show that one, um, you're never going to please everyone. Someone's always going to think you're too fat. Someone's always going to think you're too thin. Someone's like, it's it's just, you know, we can hold on to these singular comments, but I'm like, there's an array of, you know, you try and please everyone, you end up pleasing no one is kind of the message behind it. And it's like, if you're going to believe your good press, you've got to believe the Brad press. So in that array, it's like, well, it all just kind of cancels each other out because it's, you know, it's, it's someone, and, and I try and picture it. I'm like, I picture someone sitting there writing those messages because I can't ever imagine doing it myself. And that's, that kind of helped me disconnect and be like, okay, that's, that's not a me issue. That's whoever is on, on the end of that keyboard, you know, yelling such vitriol. So, um, yeah, sorry to answer your question. It, it did used to bother me. And I, I understand that, you know, you open yourself up on social media to these things, but to anyone listening that's experiencing it, I would just, I would say, try and picture someone sitting there typing so, so awfully. I'm like, that's, <laughs> it almost is comical because you're like, that's just ridiculous. So um, that's how I kind of, you know, characterize it in my mind to separate from it. Yeah. And do you have any other sort of boundaries around Instagram or in terms of like how you use it or what you're happy to share or what you're you don't want to share? I mean and obviously you're you've been very open and, and public about your your kind of health journey on there mm-hmm. and, and some other things. But you know, is there the, that line where like, no, that's for me or um yeah. What, what are your thoughts yeah. on that boundaries with Instagram? It's, I kind of, um, you know, and if I'm sharing something, I do it on the premise of I kind of like, you know, is this going to be helpful to people in the way that, you know, we live in a world of 7 billion plus people. If there's something that I feel isolated in, I'm guaranteed that there's other millions of people that also feel isolated in it. So I kind of put it through that process. Is it helpful to people um, in making others feel not as isolated? And, you know, specifically on my endometriosis journey, um, I share that because I knew nothing about it prior to my diagnosis and then obviously doing self-research, learning more about it, but then realising how truly um, common it is. And I'm like, this is such a common thing that affects one in 10 women, but no one's really talking about it. So I, I was like, man, we need to, we need to normalize this conversation. So that was very much around that. But I think overarchingly it's, it's more like, I'm not going to share something if I'm emotionally still, you know, in the depths of it, I have to kind of be not so much out the other side of it, but, you know, strong enough to hold that space to share. Because I think when you open it up to 200,000 plus people, um, you know, it takes, it takes an emotional, um, output I think to hold that space so I'm quite conscious of that and so of course you're now in a sort of new chapter of your life with 
you know, having just mm-hmm. finished the book. And so like what, you know, what is, what's happening in your world now? I mean, do you have, is this, do you see this as a transitional period for you? Like, are you itching to kind of get, you know, hands on with a, a very specific project or you just want to focus more on your foundation or, you know, like after having gone through so much, Right. Is there part of you that's kind of craving, you know, like when people renovate and then they finish and they're like, I kind of want to do it again. <laughs> right. Well, I say I'm technically unemployed at the moment. So, I, um, you know, obviously I finished the book and, um, yeah, we're, we're just wrapping up that book tour now. But, uh, you know, I'm going to follow her lead and hopefully she has a, you know, a little life of her own that I'll, I'll follow. Um, definitely we've just, uh, the Samantha Lewis Foundation is now going to be home to um, a masterclass that we're just in the final stages of editing. So that's releasing in June. Uh, it's also going to be, you know, a lot more tangible handing over. So if the book is the story of, of that entrepreneurial journey, then the, the foundation is the tangible elements. So, you know, here's the Samantha Lewis marketing template. Here's, you know, documents that might help you. Here's my little black book of, of business contacts kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I'm still working on, on project basis. So I work with, on, you know, I some other brands that I do spokesperson work for or create uh, campaigns around. So everything's, you know, got a underline of, of creativity and, and storytelling. But, uh, yeah, it just depends. It, and it's very project-based at the moment. The Samantha Wills Foundation definitely has my, my full attention and then the other ones are, are fun, uh, creative projects. So can you give us a little bit of an insight into like your days or weeks at the moment? I mean, obviously, I know that you're kind of in full book promotion mode, but yeah, yeah. is there a bit of a is there a bit of a sense of like you know this is the the sort of the layout of your your life at the moment? No, not really. It's still still a bit different um, depending what I'm working on. Um, but you know, a lot of time in front of the computer. It's uh, you know whether it's a creative project or writing. Um, but yeah, I'm you know been in New York for the last ten years, and obviously uh, air travel is, is quite rare at the moment. So that's still taking a bit of getting used to, I think. And I think even the um, you know going from I, I kind of explained it a bit in the book where I'm like, if a brand gets to those commercial heights and it has your name, you know, do you get that name back? Is is that possible? So kind of you know people stopped calling me Samantha at one point. I was SW to separate myself from the brand. So. I think to, you know, just kind of getting back into my body into what that means without the jewellery um, label after it. So still still navigating it, but it's feeling good. Yeah. And I, I another kind of little kind of funny question I had in my mind was I was thinking, do you wear jewellery anymore or is, <laughs> or is that like, <laughs> you know, like what's your relationship I, with jewellery or you, you just can't even look question. at it? <laughs> No, it's um, I the very first piece of jewelry that I bought from another brand was uh, the day after we closed. I went on to Net a Porte and I bought a, a nine carat gold and like porcelain shelved and diamond bracelet. Um, it was the very first, it was so strange. I don't know why. I was like, all right, I finished the jewelry company, I'll buy a piece of jewelry. Um, but yeah, it's I liken it, you know, when like plumbers usually have really shit plumbing at home or like you know builders <laughs> never get stuff done around the house like my relationship with jewelry for a long time was like I just can't but um yeah I wear a few fine and, and personal pieces or pieces that I've been gifted but um yeah more fine jewelry now yeah 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 no, I was just curious about that and yeah, actually, I did also want to ask you as well because you know you've created a beautiful home um you're in Bondi aren't you I am, yes. Is that where you're based? Yeah, yeah. And you've created a a beautiful home there. And I often think, because with the books that I've created, I've I've noticed there's a bit of a pattern that many of the people who really invest a lot of time and energy into their homes are living somewhere else. You know, it's not their, their kind of their birthplace home as such do you know what I mean like lots of them are expats or or whatever and so I think creating a sense of home is actually really important for them and maybe for you because you live in New York for so many years and sort of traveling Mm -hmm. backwards and forwards what what's your relationship with with having a home what's important to you about it I think you know and I think really um, embedded to me when I was, you know, six weeks New York, 10 days Sydney consistently. So I really wanted to invest in those spaces because when you're home, like you just, you want to feel like it's a sanctuary um, to you. So my my apartment in New York, even though it was like a traditional meatpacking apartment, it still felt like a, a Bondi house in a way, like the way I decorated it. And I think there's always those ties to home in, in some way, but it's, um, and it's, you know, it's such your domain around creating a, a sacred space. And I think, especially if you're working from home, like it's, it's got to feel 
um, like a place that you want to create in. So that's that's paramount for me. Okay, I've got some quick questions to sort of mm-hmm. to finish up and uh, just yep. whatever comes to mind. So okay. which <laughs> which five mm-hmm. words best describe you? Oh, um, I get very nervous at these things. Okay, I'm going to focus. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think cre- cre- creative, uh, curious, um, empath- empathetic, empathetic, have empathy. <laughs> Empathetic. Yep. Is that a word? Yeah. Okay. Empathetic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Empathetic. Um, storyteller. And uh, I've got four. I can only do four. That's okay. I think okay. actually a lot of people stop at four. It's like the fifth one is just one too many. <laughs> no. I'll let you know. I'll let That's you know funny. if it comes to uh, me. <laughs> okay. All right. No worries. Um, this is. It could be related to your life or your career, but what's the best life or career lesson that you've learned? I think it is to um, relearn your intuition language and understand how your body communicates with you. I think for so long, um, you know, we've been taught that if you can't logically explain something, then it's not real. Um, And, you know, really getting back to, you know, undoing of all of that information and getting back in our bodies and and listening to what that is and, and understanding that language in for life and business. Yeah, that was something that really struck me, that whole decision process that you kind of had to go through to sort of when you decided to close the business. And I was thinking about, you know, how does this like, you know, relate to other people? Because obviously, you know, that was quite a unique situation that you were in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we sort of live in this time when it's never been easier to open an online shop, for instance. And I think there are so many right. people that that do that and they have all these high hopes and dreams, but then the reality starts to set in. And, um, and there are some people who kind of have to decide, well, you know, is this actually the thing that I want to be doing, you know, to kind of keep going with it? It's a big decision, isn't yeah. it? It is a big decision. And I think for so long we we think that you can't stop or if something's good, you can't close it. And it's, I don't know, it's this traditional framework of things where we find ourselves and being like, oh, we can't do that. And it's like, well, why can't we do that? So I think really challenging when you find yourselves at that, you know, self um analytic stage I think of of thinking we can't do something and and the other you know I talk about crossroads in the book but I think you know when we're at a crossroads and be it a a life milestone or something much much smaller we're met with the the choice of fear or faith and faith is obviously you know what our soul is is nudging us towards to, to move us forward along our paths and most of the time that is entails not knowing what that step is hence you know like a leap of faith but you know, our, our soul is always wanting to, to move us forward just a little bit and a little bit out of our comfort zone, sometimes a lot, but, you know, it's, it's always just take that step forward and something will meet you there. But it's such a scary decision to make. And then I think the other option we have at that crossroads is, is the fear, which, you know, is when our mind, our mind's job is to keep us in the familiarity. That could be, you know, the familiarity of an uninspiring job. It could be a toxic relationship. It could be any, anything that's, you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's good for us, but it's familiar. So I think that, you know, we've got to look at those two options and and hand on my heart, I hope that, you know, even though it's a harder decision that we choose the one of faith over the one of fear. I'm curious, do you still meditate? I know you mentioned in the book that you had sort of went on that journey of going to that retreat. Is that something that's still Mm -hmm. part of your life? No, I mean, I do meditate in different ways. Like I, I run a course uh, on the Smart the Wills Foundation where I talk about, you know, creating space and that, you know, that can be found on a meditation pillow, but it might be found in the ocean. It might be found cooking. It might be found, you know, I, I look at meditation now as what can you do where you kind of lose space of, of time and where your mind is actively working, but it's, it's not having to think too hard. So, you know, you might be driving and new ideas kind of reach you, but it's because we're giving them, you know, the space to land. So to me, that's what meditation is now and I'm you know I'm not sitting in a on a meditation pillow every morning by any means yeah to carve out that time is so important and yet so hard isn't it but um it definitely yeah. but it's as creatives it should be paramount like it should be the thing that we're like we you know we actually carve time to, to drive the longer way home if that's where we get our ideas but I think we, we don't mm. we don't look at it that way yep um mm. this might be a hard one for you I don't know what's your proudest career achievement? 
Oh, there's so many. I, um, you know, and in different senses, like a, you know, a um, superficial one was having product on Sex in the City. That was a, a brilliant get for us, you know, being named as a breakout star of the, for the New York Times, just things like that that are just so truly surreal. Um, I think on a, a very personal level, um, the team that worked alongside me building the Samantha Wills jewellery brand, I often say, you know, when you ever so modestly name a, a brand after yourself, the people that choose to come and work in your organisation, it's such an act of grace because they're coming to work to, you know, build your dream. So um, we just had such an incredible group of women over the 15 years and that's probably my, my proudest at on a personal level. Yeah. I think I was tearing up when you wrote that bit in your book. I was like, yeah, yeah it is. It's very powerful, isn't it? It is. Um, it really is. What's been your best decision? Oh, these are really hard questions, Natalie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, fascinating. I know. Um, my, uh, what's the biggest decision or hardest or best decision? Uh, best best decision and it can be like general life whatever you know like I I think you know I think it goes back to to intuition again I think I've spent so long suppressing it in a way I think when I consciously was like okay this is a real thing and this can really support my my life I really started to invest in in researching it I do a lot of study around the work of Carolyn Mass who is an incredible spiritual teacher but she's you know no bullshit it's it's very very helpful to me so um, I think my best decision is is leaning into that Mm. Yeah, and something that can adapt to so many different situations, I guess, as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Who inspires you? Oh, so many people. I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan, like a really, really big Taylor Swift fan. Not a Swifty because they act a little crazy at times, so I'm not going to associate into that fandom. But the um, I just I adore her. I think that, you know, her music aside, which I, I love, I think the way that she um, has built her brand, the way that she does fan engagement, the the stories that she tells and so beautifully through each album and she invites us all into that world. I She just inspires me creatively and, and, and how she holds herself in the world. I have huge admiration for her. Ah, that's really interesting because I, I don't really know her. Like, you know, I know her name. I don't even know any of the mm-hmm. songs. So, yeah, I'll have to dig a little really? deeper in that. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you some playlists. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate. At the moment, I'm passionate about finding a creative space or you know creative output that doesn't necessarily have to have a commercial outcome I think for so long um you know with the Samantha Wills jewelry business I you know which was once my hobby and then obviously turned to vacation which is exactly what I wanted but I didn't replace that hobby and I think as you know creative entrepreneurs if we're not replacing that hobby we're doing ourselves a disservice so you know through um COVID the first lockdown I you know got back into paint by numbers I did some you know floral coloring in things and just like it was just a really nice time to just be and create and not have to worry about the outcome of it Mm. what dream do you still want to fulfill Oh, I I would love to see um, Of Gold and Dust, my new book, adapted off the page. So whether that's, you know, into a, a television format or, you know, some type of audio format or, or something, I don't know, something more beyond the book would be would be an absolute dream come true. I, I can very much see it as a film. I just, as I was kind of, you know, once I stop crying, <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, this is um, <laughs> this is oh, this would be a, a really good a really good film. I, I mean, you wrote oh. it so beautifully for someone who said that you weren't very good at Thanks. high school and and all of that. But um, no. yeah, it, it yeah, because it can. I mean, memoirs can be tricky. You know, like I've read yes. lots of books over the years and. Um, sometimes they can be too self-indulgent. Sometimes they can mm-hmm. be too much about trying to, you know, moralize or tell a, you know, a lesson to everybody right. or do you know what I mean? Like there's that really fine balance between taking you on a journey and, um, but feeling like you can connect to the story, like that you can see yourself in it in some yeah. way. And, um, yeah, no, it was, that, makes, was that not, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, there was not a, a section that I just, 
I didn't want to just keep going. I mean, as I said, I, I read the whole thing, like pretty, pretty much from about eight o'clock till two o'clock. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, to have that momentum throughout the whole story, it was, um, I don't know, you know, if you went through lots of rewrites or editing. Can you share a little bit about that, the writing process? Yeah. I, it's, um, you know, as a first time writer, so that book's about a, about 72,000 words, but my, which is a general memoir length. But my um, original manuscript, which was literally just a brain dump, was 148,000 words. And, you know, I think as a wow. first time writer, I'm like, all right, I just need to get all the stories down that could add to, you know, telling this story. Um, and then obviously with a good editing team, they're like, okay, you can cut out this entire story that can go. And, you know, they just give you a lot of clarity and, and a lot of, you know, back and forth to, you know, go away, rewrite this, do this. So um, the, the editing process is, is quite intense, which I'm sure any author um, has said as well. But it's, and as you know, it's, it's, you know, it's the tiniest little details. And I think, you know, I'm not a, a attention to detail type of person. I'm like a broad stroke person. So my Poor editor, I swear to God, she's just like has a voodoo doll of me at this point. She's like <laughs> just happy the book is on shelf where she doesn't have to put up with my terrible grammar. So, um, but it, thank you for your kind word. I would love, to, I'd love for it to be a film. And, you know, I had to, there was two names in the book I had to change um, based on legal recommendations. And uh, one of them was Jasper, one of the characters in there. Um, and I was like, all right, well, you know, that's not his real name, obviously. And I was like, what am I going to call it? I had to do it quite last minute before we went to print. So I was like, what am I going to call him? I was like, I thought back to, um, you know, the movie The Holiday with Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz and they switch houses. Yeah. And so uh, Kate Winslet's character, you know, um, is like you're seeing this guy, Jasper, and I was like, yeah, he's definitely going to be a Jasper in this. So I, I, that name was inspired by a, a film character. So if it translates back the other way, that would be brilliant. <laughs> Did it take you a while to find your your writing voice, though? Because that, I mean, for me, when I was writing my first book, it actually mm-hmm. took me so long to find. And it's obviously mine is like non Sorry, I got to. I always get this wrong, which is sounds so terrible. Well, they're both nonfiction, but mine, you know, obviously, a very different genre. And it just found right. it took me a long time to get my my right voice because you know I've written for magazines a lot, and I'm often writing in the the tone of Real Living or House and Garden or whatever right, magazine, you right. know, you yes. know that kind of thing. To actually find my own voice, did you struggle with that, or did, was that not the you know that just came out? Um. I think when you're writing like first person, like and in the emotion of memoir, it wasn't that difficult, but I do know exactly what you mean. Like if I'm right, if I'm working with a brand, I go into like advertising, you know, tone. And then if I'm working on, you know, something else, so I can, I can see the, the difficulty to um, style shift. Um, for me, I don't, I think it was quite a luxury to be able to, to do it firsthand in, in that way. So I didn't find it too difficult. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's just interesting. But like I said, it's a very good story. Um, and Thank you. So what about, you're welcome. What are, so what about you? What are you reading at the moment? Are you reading any books? Yes, I am reading, um, I've actually just ordered, it hasn't arrived yet, but Heartsick, the new one by um, Jessie Stevenson, I think her name is. But I've, you know, I'm, I'm quite influenced by this bookstagrammer world that I've now found myself in. And um, if, if they're all posting about one book, I'm like, all right, I better get that book. So um, I do have a pile next to my bed, you know, after this whole process, my my um, vow to myself was to, to read a little bit more. Um, but as I said, yeah, Carolyn Mass is, I, I read a lot of her work. Um, what else am I What reading? would you say is your oh, favourite favorite book by her? Oh, all of them are very, very different. But um, Sacred Contracts was great. You know, she talks a lot about fate versus destiny. Um, anything by Michael Singer is in that same vein as well. And I just bought the new one by the holistic psychologist who um, is, you know, has a big following on Instagram um, she's just released her book and I was so glad I wasn't in the same release week as her because going up against, she she hit the New York Times bestseller list at number one on her first like day. So I was glad I didn't have to go up against her, but it is a brilliant book. Yeah. I'm actually reading um, Michael Singer at the moment. I always have about 10 books on the go at once. Yes, on same. I mean, <laughs> for a particular day, but um, I, I do read sort of business books as well and, you know, a few things like that as well as, you know, to do with thought but yeah I'm reading the um the untethered soul I think that's what it's called um oh that's that is brilliant yeah 
Yeah. yeah. I, I've heard have, him have you read his, interviewed. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just saying, I've heard him interviewed a few times and I've really liked what he, you know, his theory or philosophy on, on all yes. of that, but I hadn't actually read the book and, and it's just, I'm just kind of nodding <laughs> the whole I time know. at the moment. It's like, <laughs> is he talking just to me? Like when you're reading it, his other good one is um, The Surrender Project, uh, The Surrender Experiment, which is absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant, which is kind okay. of memoir, but he talks about the universal guidance and he literally dedicated his whole life to like taking universal guidance, whether he wanted that guidance or not. And it, it's quite fascinating what how it unfolds. Okay, I'm going to have to ask you another question a little bit off track, but related okay. to that. Because you do talk about going to see a clairvoyant in the book. Yes. And obviously you do, you go and you had a, a partner, a boyfriend that was into mindfulness and you talk about that. You went on a meditation mm-hmm. retreat and you talk about this idea of like trusting your intuition and faith versus fear. Like what, mm-hmm. are, what are your thoughts on that? Like do you, do you believe in fate? Do you... Um, yeah, like you know, all of that sort of side of spirituality. Yeah, where are you where are you, where do you sit in it? I I try and differentiate fate and destiny, kind of like I talk about the crossroads before. I'm like, I believe we're put on this earth for for a purpose, and um, some of us fulfill that, um, and that's our destiny. And our the you know our soul and our intuition is always trying to guide us in in that way. It might not be what we exactly want, but it's it's when things go in flow, when we feel like we we have purpose, and you know it doesn't always look like we think it might look. And then um, secondary to that is is fate, and you kind of. You know, I was, you, even if you hear the language around it, like, oh, it was destined to be, you're like, oh, that was a fated outcome. So I think fate is more if you just, you know, stay in the same spot and, you know, make that decision based around fear. It's like, well, it's familiar. I'm just going to stay. That's um, so, you know, I don't know if it's it's minutely guided down to the, the very, you know, micro micro of it. But I definitely think there's pillars along the way of um, that, are, that are predetermined. Um, and if we you know, if we're doing, if we're listening to our soul, that's when we, we progress a little bit further down that path. Mm, it's, yeah, I, it's something that like, it just makes my head spin sometimes. Yeah. Those ideas, yeah. like, because um, there's some things like we're so, we're all so different and we're on all such different journeys. Right. And yeah, I don't know. It's, and then like you give the examples of the, the clairvoyant. I mean, I, I still don't know what I think about all of that side of things. Yep. But, um, yep. but, but there is definitely that being true to yourself and, and knowing that and, and that kind of reconciling with that. I think it can be, I don't know if everyone struggles with that or if, I mean, I know I have moments where, I sort of yeah struggle with that and I, I don't know it's I think we sort of we talk about it a lot as humans but we don't as well like I don't think we have really honest conversations about it um, yeah definitely and it, look I think what it all comes down to no matter what angle or religion or belief that that we're coming from is it comes back to intuition and and you know this exchange of energy in like I explain it to people I'm like you know when you walk into a room after someone's had an argument and you, you might use the phrase like oh you could cut the air with a knife or it feels you know it, it was like a heavy heaviness in the air I'm like that's the complete observation of of energy or you know in in any type of form so um I think at the end of the day there's so much happening that that we can't see that we can tap into if if we're in tune with it are you listening to any podcasts at the moment do you like listening to podcasts I haven't for a while. I've got more into audio books, um, which I was doing before I did my audio read. So I, I, I'm not a good, I do like true crime though. So um, I do like a good true crime podcast. Ah, you're one of those. <laughs> I'm one of those people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's definitely like, yeah, a huge section of the population that's really into that. I, I, know, I think it's one of those things. Up. Yeah, I just, I think I couldn't start listening to one because I know I probably would actually get really hooked. So maybe I'm deliberately staying away. <laughs> right. I do feel there's a whole movement around like, you know, internet internet sleuths that, you know, take it upon themselves. It's a whole underground movement. So while I'm not in, I'm not in that genre, but I, yeah, I do like a good true crime one. <laughs> and finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, I think um, overarchingly, I think if I had that opportunity, I would say, you know, don't don't try and please 
everyone, just focus on what you're doing and be true to yourself. And I think for a lot of my career, especially in those early days, I tried just to people please absolutely everyone. And and the lesson I learned um, was, you know, when you try and please everyone, you end up engaging no one. So just stay true to yourself and, and who is meant to find you will find you at that level. Okay. Oh, that is such a good note to end on. Thank you so much, Samantha. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and thank you for indulging all my very specific questions about that. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you so much for your time and, and thank you so much for the platform that you provide to facilitate these type of creative conversations. It's so brilliant and, and so appreciated. So thank you. That's so nice for you to say. Thank you so much. All right. Great. Thanks. I hope that you enjoyed this interview with Samantha. If you did, I would love if you could share it with a friend or someone who might get a lot out of this particular conversation, as well as rate and review it on the podcast app where you're listening to it today and subscribe to if you enjoy these types of interviews. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. All of the links and info you need to access for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bunjalung Nation where it was recorded. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.